This is the PropTech VC Podcast. We give you unique insights into how innovative technologies are disrupting real estate. We interview top entrepreneurs, investors, and knowledgeable experts to share the inside scoop in this fast-moving industry. It's hosted by leading PropTech VC, Zane Jaffer. Let's dive into today's content. Yeah, there's, there's so much to unpack there in, in that anecdote you shared. Um, you know, it, it's it's um, it's not easy, right? That's why. That, that's exactly why so few startups succeed. <laughs> if it were easy, everyone would be doing it. It's a Herculean effort to get it off the ground and. Even if you build it, you have to make sure people use it. And so you, you don't want to do it sequentially. You don't want to build something and then go to the market. You want to do it iteratively. Sure. You want to be talking to a customer. So identify that customer and then showing them prototypes and testing it works. If you're the type of company that doesn't have um, an enterprise approach and you're selling more to a marketplace or consumers, going back to something you said, well, what you can do too is you can run ads sort of test what your customer acquisition strategy might work like, right? So run some ads and then redirect those ads to your website or your app or whatever it is and make the website look functional. And what you're really doing is you're tracking what people do and you want to track maybe if there's a buy now, how many people clicked on buy now? Yeah. That way you can prove demand. Another approach people use is to use like a crowdfunding campaign just to sort of validate. Be careful with crowdfunding, by the way, because if you take money from the crowd, you, you, you there's liability and there's pressure there, you know. But if you're a consumer facing product, it makes sense. If you're an enterprise product, it's different. So given that you're now you, you're in the enterprise space, um, what advice do you have for people around building an enterprise style product, uh, especially yeah. as you, you know, you're wearing many hats, but you're also a technologist at heart. Yeah. What matters? How would you prioritize things? Maybe a framework you could lay out. Yeah. I mean, I think for what, one thing I'll say before I dig into that is like oftentimes any entrepreneur, but especially first time entrepreneurs want to optimize for scale like too early. Right. Oh, yes. So they're trying to like systematize things like, oh, well, if we get a hundred million users, how, how will we do this on scale? I'm like, well, okay, well, how about we get one? Let's get one user or 10. And then, you know, Paul Graham from YC, I, I, I use this all the time and I love it. He, he says to do what doesn't scale, right? And that's so true in the early days. Like, don't worry, like that, you know, what does that mean? That might mean, you know, in the background, it, it looks like it's a chat bot, but it's really you, you know, doing, you know, whatever your company is or, you know, manually entering data, even though it might look like it's an AI platform that automatically scrapes, you know, whatever that is, like, because the reality is like, given the statistics, more likely than not, you won't have the scale problem. And if you do have the scale problem, fantastic. That's a Money great will problem. come. Money will come if you have the, the scale money will problem. Come. So it's like, why are you worrying about scale when, when you more, like, again, the odds are not, you won't get there. You know? Yeah, that's right. And you're you're not just that. You're going to build something that you think will scale, and maybe a different part of the product or a different product entirely is what will eventually scale. So don't don't waste time. Just do it manually, and then automate what needs to be automated. Even outsource some operational aspects, or write some yes. quick Python scripts, or whatever. You know, to do some backend operations. So yeah, that, that's interesting. Uh, that but one uh, thing I sorry I didn't want to interject there, but you just said something that. I, I think about all the time, more, 
what you see a lot is you start down this path, right? Like you have this, you know, maybe you don't know step 10, but you know steps one, two, and three, right? What I think is important, but also again, like a good thing and a bad thing is the idea like, don't put blinders on to like what step 10 looks like. As you're going down the path, there might, you might have to look like, oh my gosh, like I thought we were gonna go here, but this thing we kind of did, you know, I mean, you've seen a lot of companies that started that way, Slack, Twitter, like they, this thing they kind of did over here actually is the thing that people like, or this custom, I'm hearing these customers constantly bring up the same thing. And I don't want to hear it because that's not what we're doing, but there's something to it. I think you have to balance that with like, well, maybe we do need to adjust our course. You have to balance that with, you know, the idea of like uh, constantly pivoting, right? Like you don't want to take every piece of feedback and be like, oh, we should go here, we should go here, we should go here. but Put in this, build into you and your team this idea that yes, this is the vision we're laying out for this company. But when you're talking to people, listen to what they're saying. And 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 if you build, if you hear it enough, then we should really talk about like, is this actually the path we should consider going down as opposed to the one we initially thought of? And not just getting distracted and pivoting. The most dangerous thing isn't pivoting; it's trying to do everything and overloading and bloating with features. And I'm sure we'll go to the enterprise question in a moment because I'm sure on the enterprise level, you think, wow, we have to be a full platform. We have to offer every solution. But the most elegant solutions are point solutions to start with. They do one thing really, really well. And before you talk about the enterprise, as a technologist, could you sort of help viewers understand or, or audience understand? You add one feature, you do that well, what happens on the technology side when you add another feature and another feature and another feature? Yeah. I don't think, I, I can appreciate it, but I want to hear it from you. What complexity does that cause when you just bundle features upon yeah. features upon features? Yeah, that, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, some, it's funny, like you experience it, to me, it's just common sense, but you talk to people like, oh, it's just another feature. Like, what's the big right. deal? You know, especially the, the sales guy. I just, just want to add this. Right, I just want to, oh, that's the word. It's easy, right? It's easy, right? Um, yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, it's about focus, right? So focus from a company, focus from a product. Whenever you're adding more features, you're adding more complexity to the product. And not only in terms of like code complexity. Let's talk about the code complexity. I mean, what happens? Help someone understand here if you just go and say to your tech team or your technical co-founder, market wants this, market wants that, let's add this, yeah. let's add that. What goes on in the technologist's head when he hears that and what, or she hears that and what, what, what does that translate right. to? Yeah, I mean, the, the ideal technology feature is like you said, one thing that does really well. It's the easiest thing to support, or I shouldn't say easiest, but the, the simplest. Um, whenever you, know, you, you add more and more, again, from a code perspective, obviously you're adding more code. More, more code means more complexity. More complexity means more opportunity to break, right? And especially when you're building your own product, like I don't wanna do things like halfway, right? Like I wanna build, you always wanna build the best product that you can build because ultimately like there's gonna be someone on the other side of that screen, app, whatever it is, who's using it, right? So they don't care. If that's the feature they love, they don't care that you have 20 other features. They don't care that, hey, well, we can't, like, you can't support this feature fully because you're doing it. They, they just want that thing to work every single time and they want it to be fast 
and they want to do what they signed paid paying you to do right so when you're adding more product again you're adding more complexity you're adding more opportunity for things to break you're adding more room for um for you know integrations like i someone changes a code over here not knowing that that code is dependent on this code and actually breaks this code. So now your opportunity for failure increases, performance generally goes down. Right, and what, you, what you're saying is that it's not, it's not, if you look at the effort scale, adding another feature doesn't double the work, you can quadruple the work. For sure, yeah. And you've got, everything needs to connect. If you build it in one way and then later on you're overloading more and more features, even the user flow itself, and how, how things talk to each other is very complex. And the worst thing you can do is just put band-aid solutions. And when you're, when you're overloading your tech team with too many different things, then what happens is they'll put some hacky code together here, and then something else breaks somewhere else, and they patch that, they patch this, they patch that, and it's just spaghetti code in the end. Impossible for a new developer to examine it. How many times have you seen a situation where you've had to make the call? Just forget this. Like, I'm not going to build on top of this. I have to rewrite this. Because it's oh gonna take, gosh. it's gonna take me so much more effort just to, you know, add one extra feature, which means a hundred errors, and you it's like whack-a-mole, you know, you you fix one yeah. thing, another thing comes up, and then compatibility testing too is really difficult. You know? It's so hard, yeah. And then you like you said, you're making the product more complex. So a couple of things I'll add. So Fred Brooks, who is a, a, a computer scientist. He wrote a book called The Mythical Man Month. I don't know if you ever have you ever seen it, but the idea, it, the Mythical Man, yeah, it's like a kind of like I don't know, old school computer sciencey book. The idea is that when you, you know, so the, the the idea is, oh well, I'll add more features. I'll just hire hire more engineers, right? Like that's how it works, right? So <laughs> his his the premise behind the Mythical Man Month is when you add more engineers you're not actually like if you had two you're not like doubling your capacity it doesn't work like that right because what happens is now you have more people that have to communicate with each other they have to make sure that they're all doing the right things then you add management on top of that who's now coordinating releases and it's like it actually like slows everything down and so there's a sweet spot especially when you're early stage and you're still getting customer feedback where you need enough people to actually execute, right? But you don't want too many because then that whole uh, advantage that you started with, which is your ability to turn around things really quickly, just dies, right? Now you're back to, oh, well, that'll take three months because you know I need to get so-and-so engineer up to speed and make sure it doesn't break this feature. So it, it that problem applies or it exacerbates itself because typically the answer is I'll just hire more people, you know? Uh, yeah. It's sort of the premise of, have you, I think Andy Hunt um, and David Thomas, they wrote a book that's really famous called The Pragmatic Programmer. Yeah, sure. sure. Um, and, and, you know, that that's, uh, it's a, it actually is a pretty technical book. I'll give you that. But some of the early parts of it are much more readable, even if you're not a technologist. And it's really focuses on, you know, usability and, and just getting to the, what the title says, pragmatism, right? Like, making things simple and easy to understand and use and, and, and their best practices. Um, but yeah, so let's now dive in a bit to an enterprise product. What does it mean to have an enterprise product? What are some of the uh, requirements and how do you approach building the type of company? Yeah. Maybe you can refer to term sheet case studies here. Yeah. Right. Uh, to me, enterprise 
product is one that you know support that you you know traditionally is sold directly to you know other companies as opposed to a you know a, a consumer sort of product right like you know um, maybe a, a Snapchat or something like that right where your end customer is a consumer and the reason the distinction is important is because examples of enterprise companies so people can appreciate. Well, you know, Salesforce is, you know, is, is a big one, you know, in the same space, you know, HubSpot, uh, Marketo, like, you know, uh, those are traditional sort of what, I, you know, you consider enterprise companies where their main customer is another business. Yeah. And, and there, are, there are advantages to, and disadvantages to building an enterprise company. One is the the um, universe of your potential clients is pretty well known, right? Like if you're gonna build, I don't know, a, a, a CRM for, you know, or deal teams or whatever, right? Like, you know, it's pretty easy to find out who your potential clients are. And it's pretty easy to, you know, call them, email them, message them on LinkedIn to do some early validation, right? So that's one of the advantages of building an enterprise company. You're, you're, your customer is more well known and established, whereas a consumer company, like you said, like yeah, the the market is potentially much more much larger, but it's harder to reach them right at scale again because you know you're doing it through ads, uh, you know, content marketing, all the sort of more consumer type things. Now, if you can pull it off, then amazing. Like you've just built a billion dollar company. But the likelihood of pulling it off is just because consumers are are so much information is put in front of them, and they're really finicky in terms of how, what decisions they make. Do you do you agree with this? Um, and I, I'd actually categorize it as B two C, and then B two B, and then enterprise. I think enterprise deserves its own category because it's it's yeah. so unique, right? But I feel that consumer companies you're you're basically dealing with um, very irrational, emotional. Uh, consumers who could just at the whim change their mind with B2B or enterprise is extremely rational you know if you solve a clear problem someone will pay for it in right. some ways the playbook is quite clear it's execution heavy but you know what you have to do you talk to customer you listen and you build something elegant that they're willing to pay for right I hate to reduce it down but yeah that's to it. me, it seems like that versus consumer, you're, you're, you're playing Steve Jobs here. You know, you're hoping and guessing they'll like your version of TikTok or Snapchat. Right. Yeah, no, and for B2B, I would say like one, someone gave me some advice a while back and I, I think that's true if you're building a B2B or enterprise company is go, even, let's say you don't have an idea, right? Like you had no idea what company you want to build. You just know you want to be a B2B company. The best thing you could do is like go talk to companies and say, well, one thing I've heard is like ask them where they're using spreadsheets, right? That's one example of of where are they using spreadsheets today? That's potentially a product. Or two, like try to understand um, what they're doing, how they're doing it. I think the worst question you could probably ask someone in that space is, what do you think we could do better? Generally speaking, most people, when they're operating, even when you may look at it as a really inefficient way or process, that's what they do, right? So they don't see it as a problem to be improved on, but entrepreneurs do like, you know, you probably walk around all day long looking at things like, oh gosh, I think I could do that better. Like, oh, this sidewalk's cracked. Could I build a better sidewalk 
you know, pavement or something, or, you know, you, that, that's the, that's the mindset of an entrepreneur, like constantly finding problems to solve. Whereas a lot of people don't look at the world that day, like that way. They just want to go to work, do their job and go home. So to them, there's no real inefficiencies or problems. And so I think the best scenario, which is kind of what, or luckily enough, what we did at term sheet is like, we had the opportunity to like, to live and breathe with these acquisitions guys and like, see how they're doing it and look mm -hmm. at it be like, you are kidding me. Like that is how, that's how you buy a billion dollars plus worth of real estate. Like that's what you do. Um, that's the same thing that the guy down the street's doing buying, you know, rental properties. Like it's no different, you know? Um, oh, money being managed and spent, but the energy sometimes is the same. I, I, I've noticed it takes as much work to, to buy a 10 unit building as it does to buy a hundred unit building or even a 500 unit building. Um, just the numbers are bigger and the, the damage is bigger too, if you get it wrong and the rewards higher too, if you get it right, obviously. obviously. Yeah. I think that, yeah, I agree. I, I, that's what was amazing to me. One thing on a B2B though, you have to be careful of is pricing, right? Because the universe of potential customers is so much smaller potentially than, um, the world of consumer. You can't price it the same way, right? Like yeah, no, I, I would interrupt and say that I, I would actually classify B2B as a different category where you're building tools that other businesses can use and there's actually a mass market. Enterprise to me is what I would what I would call a sub-segment of B2B or rather its own category where you have a universe of buyers that are very large typically, have big budgets and need some workflow process changed internally or need something infrastructure related. Whereas the B2B guys might be, um, and you know, the boundaries blur, this is just how I like to look at the world. Um, you know, the company I started, Vongo, which was an advertising platform, was B2B more than it was enterprise. We were just a, a tool that people could implement into their app and ads would show. And you know, that's all it is. So pricing there is different, but enterprise is very tricky to price. And my, my worry with enterprise is this, how do you avoid becoming a dev shop? for your customer. Yeah. Um, They're so big, right? They make up so much of your revenue. Um, what do you do? Do you just build features for them and basically become the outsourced developer shop? How do you how do you balance that? Yeah. I, one thing I'll ask on Vung, and I agree, I think, thank you for making that distinction in terms of how, how you're thinking about it. I, I agree with that. I, you're right. Like when you're looking at a specific, like for example, let's talk about real estate acquisitions or real estate in general, right? Like that is a subset of B2B, right? Um, right. Vungo though, I think, I don't know how, again, how you guys priced it, but that was, I imagine more like transaction based. Yes. As opposed to- Take a percentage like a of, take a percentage of ad revenues. Um, that That's a model that I don't think works in enterprise. And that's something I think yeah. is specific to B2B. You'll always find exceptions. But the rule tends to be that if you're in the B2B space, you can have SaaS, but more often, not more often, equally, you can also make money just by taking transaction revenues. Uh, marketplaces yeah. do this really well. B2B though, seems to be very SaaS heavy, right? Um, I think, sorry, not SaaS heavy, um, enterprise. I think people like a lot of SaaS. Sometimes you try to take uh, a percentage of revenue. There's a lot of pushback there if it's a major large enterprise customer. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. So I think in, to your question about how do you not become a dev shop? Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. And I, quite frankly, it's, it's tempting, right? It's, it's so tempting when a large company who, especially when you're early stage, who not only can give you a big logo, 
um, can you know put potentially a lot of money in your bank account. Um, it, it, it's 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 so hard. And actually, this is something that that actually recently just happened to us. And I, I think my my experience is you've got to remember where you're trying to go, right? Like you can't you can't just look at the short term. I mean, you know, unless like you absolutely no question need the money, right? Like that's a potentially different conversation because you need to keep the company alive or whatever. If, if, if that's not an issue, I, I do think you need to keep your eye on the prize and say, um, you have to say no, right? Or no, I can't do all of that, but I can do parts of it because the parts I'm willing to do um, are in the path of where we're trying to go. But this kind of goes back to my other point, which is like, well, okay, if customer A wants to pay a lot of money and it's, it looks like a consulting job, maybe customers B, C, D, and E also want the same product, right? So I wouldn't, you know, you don't want to say no right off the bat. You might want to understand like, are there more people who want that? And, and maybe that is our product actually, and they're willing to pay you for it. If not, then I think the answer has to be uh, not right now, you know?